one thing that you hate that you love? Oh man, I'm so terrible with questions like that. Um, you know what? I hate that I love the show Grey's Anatomy, the TV show. It is super soapy. I have lost interest, I confess, in the past couple of seasons, but I have watched it more than once all the way through up to a certain point. And I hate that I like love it, but I do. 12 seasons or something? Yeah, it's still going. It is still going. The early shows, though, it's good stuff. Everybody to season two, working out salvation tonight. We have a very special guest, Reverend Amanda, uh, one of Connor's friends. She'll be talking to us about women's ordination, uh, not just in the Anglican Church, which is what faith the three of us are a part of, but just women's ordination as a whole. Her take on it, her thoughts on it. Obviously, she's probably in favor a favor of it being a reverend. So this is going to contrast what we talked about with my friend Lauren last week, who wasn't necessarily in favor of it. So with that, Amanda, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself and. Uh, all those embarrassing facts we told you to tell, too. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's good to be with you. Um, my name is uh, the Reverend Amanda Holm Rosengren. Uh, Holm, maiden name, Reverend, has a fairly new acquisition, relatively speaking. Uh, it's great to be with you. Good to uh, see you again, Connor, and to meet you, Noah. I am an Anglican priest uh, in the north suburbs of Chicago in Highwood, Illinois, at Church of the Redeemer. I've been part of the church since 2005. I've been in the kind of Anglican world since 2001 or so in undergrad. So, um, but didn't grow up Anglican, which we can talk about perhaps. I have two kids, two little girls who keep me very busy. Uh, one is almost five named Ruth and the other almost three, or I'm sorry, she is five, almost six, Ruth. Oh, they grow up so fast. The other, Junia, is almost three. That's the one that's an almost. And anyway, they keep me quite busy. Uh, I'm the associate pastor at Church of the Redeemer, as well as a priest, uh, full-time gig, doing things like music and preaching and pastoral counseling, and uh, as an associate pastor often does, everything that needs everything else that needs doing. It's it's a, a um, yes that kind of job. So that's all. I mean, what else? What can I say that's weird about me? When I was growing up, I wanted to go into musical theater, so I'm a musical theater star at heart. So if you had to pick your favorite musical, then what do you, what do you, I'm a Hamilton guy myself. Ah, I love Hamilton. I would, I would love to perform in Into the Woods. That's, that's Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim. So that's, that's my, one of my ones that really whew, gets me, but I do love Hamilton. Oh, good stuff. If you want to break out in a song at any time, please feel free. We, we will not judge. This is a judgment free oh, zone for that. Don't tempt me. If we were in person, <laughs> I probably would. Zoom doesn't work as well for that. But. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. I also I love your daughter's name, Junia. It's a wonderful name. Um, we debated because I because I realized you know what if we name her this to some people it's going to be like oh that's a weird name and to other people it's going to be like oh okay that says something. Yeah, which for those of our listeners, if you're not familiar, um, Junia is a woman's name from the New Testament in Romans chapter sixteen, uh, where Paul mentions she is noteworthy among the apostles and i know there are arguments about that translation but uh we're going with that she's a woman apostle <laughs> so um well yeah amanda thanks so much for taking the time to be on with us and and talking and um yeah so let's go into a little more about like your background um 
and your tradition, kind of where you've come from, and if your kind of position on women's ordination, women in ministry has kind of shifted along the way. Um, you said you came into Anglicanism in 2001, so kind of where were you at before that, and how did that transition come about? Yes, so I grew up almost literally in church. My dad was the music minister at a little Baptist church in Corona, California, and my mom was the church pianist and organist, so we were at church all the time. So yes, Baptist was my kind of growing up tradition all through elementary school and high school. I was at the youth group, you know, doing the youth group things and always in church and Wednesday night, you know, Bible study and all, all that stuff. So Baptist was my tradition. And it was an American Baptist church early on and then a Southern Baptist church. And um, I, I just never really saw women in ministry. It's interesting. I can't really remember a lot of like heavy handed teaching about it. I have other friends who that was their experience. But for me, it was just kind of something I absorbed. I remember um, in my church growing up, my, my Baptist church in elementary school, we had a female children's director is probably what they, they called her. And then she, pre I remember she preached one sermon and I remember my parents, you know, kind of, oh, she shouldn't have done that. Like there was talk about it in my house as a, ne a negative thing. So that's like my one touchstone. Um, and I, I just didn't really think about it. You know, I didn't see women preaching. Um, there were women with the kids and teaching youth with their spouse, you know, things like that. Women who are missionaries. It's kind of your, what I consider now the pretty typical evangelical culture. And that's just how it was. Um, it wasn't until I went to college and I went to college at Wheaton. That was the first time I heard these terms, you know, egalitarian and complementary. And I was like, what are those? Which I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't have to think about that until then. And now I talk, think about it and uh, hear about it way too much. Um, but it was in college where I first really became aware of how, you know, when I was, I, I went, the first church I went to, especially, I would look up front, it was just this wall of men, just a wall of men. And I just hadn't tracked with that before. And it was it kind of like, a, oh, I, I didn't notice that before. Um, as well as, again, you know, again, hearing more of the arguments that I just hadn't heard about egalitarianism. Um, I studied the texts more, you know, I had professors who were egalitarian and and who opened the scriptures in that way or taught theology in that way um even speakers in chapel it just became an option when before i just hadn't seen it as an option um so in college is when i first went to an anglican church it's not church of the resurrection that's the big one that people think of it was uh, church of the great shepherd which um was another kind of big church at the time i think it's gotten a little smaller over the years um, and I, again, I didn't think about this at the time, but looking back, you know, there were female deacons up front, um, often husband and wife combo, combo, man, a priest and the woman, a, a deacon. Um, so that was really the first time that I saw women on the, on the platform serving in a new way. And I, you know, I was weirded out by the Anglican stuff at first. That's a whole other story, but uh, grew to love it, especially because of the liturgy. I remember that was also the first time I really saw a woman preach was, um, one of the female deacons at the time. Actually, she's she's now a priest. Linda Richardson is her name. She's at Church of the Savior down in Wheaton. She was the deacon at the time, and I heard her preach a sermon, and it was wonderful. Um, so it was kind of, you know how college is. There's like things bubbling up. You're learning new things. And so this was one of those things that kind of opened up to me at that time. Um, now, <laughs> then I ended up in seminary. That's a whole, you know, whole thing, too. I went to seminary. I, I discovered theology. An undergrad. And that's really why I, I thought I wanted to go ahead and do the professor thing. Like that's, I loved it. I was encouraged in it. So I went to seminary really thinking I would study theology. Um, and I was pretty 
proud. I don't know. It's the whole thing. I was proud of myself at the time. I was like, well, I'll study my theology alongside these little pastor people. And I want my theology to be rooted in the church, all that stuff. I had no idea of, of being a pastor. But the ironic thing is now, so I ended up in the MDiv program at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I ended up taking these classes that I didn't think I would ever use, like a preaching class. <laughs> and these languages, which actually I love the languages, I'm a, I'm a nerd like that, or some, you know, pastoral counseling, these classes like, okay, got to check this off the list. And little did I know, um, my experience, you know, again, at seminary, especially at, at, at TED's, these debates about women's and women in ministry are, are all, over, all over the place too. And so I kind of knew where I thought I was landing, but I wasn't thinking about it tons because it didn't really apply to me. And then, um, well, Again, there's not, not that many women in, in seminary. So, you know, one of the, the common themes here is women are often just, there's just a few of us in the room and that's a whole other experience. But um, I was safe in seminary. I'm using air quotes, safe, because I was on the academic track. Um, people could kind of relate to me as a, in, in a safe way um, since I wasn't intending to be a pastor. I've had that experience in other settings for other reasons too. But I was sitting in a class one day when uh, I just heard this sentence ringing in my head that just as simple as this, you're going to be a pastor. And I had this whiplash, like, where did that come from? Is that like, wasn't anything to do with the class. I honestly didn't know what I thought about me being a pastor. I'm like, I have all these things in the abstract. Um, but for me, do I, what do I think about that? I don't really know. And that was the, kind of the beginning of a, a journey for me. As I look back, I think about the Anglican church and one of the, and in, in that tradition, I realized that in, at least in the Anglican churches that I've been part of, wherever they land on kind of women's ordination, that's the hot topic for um, Anglican churches. But there are ways that women can serve fairly robustly, reading scripture, um, music, serving communion, prayer, being an acolyte, being a deacon in, in many settings, and serving on the vestry in many in a lot of settings, everything except the priesthood. And you know what? I'm I'm grateful for that. I haven't really thought about that before, but I think in some ways there's a more robust, um, there are more robust ways for women to participate in the Anglican tradition than in some of the contexts that I grew up in, the Baptist church. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm looking at my notes and kind of getting confused. <laughs> it's late. Um, hey, I like, feel like that in school all the oh time. My gosh. I look at my handwriting, my notes. I'm like, what was I thinking yeah. when I read that? I wrote my notes. and I'm like, am I answering the question or am I just talking? <laughs> so if I get off track or if it's not the question you want me to be addressing, just like rein me back in. Well, we um, want you to address whatever you want to address okay. and however you want to take Send it. it. So that's totally, that's totally the thing. Fun. You invite in a woman, woman who is ordained and it's not just abstract. It's my story, right? So yeah. I, that's, that's just what I'm going to have to bring. All right. And that's what we want. That's okay. what we want. <laughs> I think what I was going to, I was thinking about kind of the difference, differences between the two traditions that are really shaped me, the Baptist tradition and Anglican tradition and the Baptist, more evangelical tradition, it's preaching and teaching. That's like the big thing as well as the pastor label, but preaching and teaching. Ugh. And, and I've had that, that I've, I've, in my experience in the Anglican tradition, it really varies on the context some churches are really have no problem with women women preaching, but would have a big problem with women being a being a priest. Others, where even female deacons are, you know, deacons in in theory are supposed to have part of the ministry. Preaching is part of their ministry, and I've known women who, for for 
because of where their rector is at on kind of, it's not about women's ordination, but it's about some of these more, I don't know, I, I, can, I think it's tied to maybe the more reformed tradition that where preaching is like, no, women don't get to do that. So the Anglican church really has all these different streams that, that, that weave throughout, um, as well as, again, the evangelical tradition is about preaching. Um, but in the Anglican tradition, it's very much about, especially about the priesthood. That's really the, the lightning rod of things. So as I think about how I understand women's ordination from my background, from my, my, um, the traditions that I've been part of, I realize that I'm very um, informed by scripture, as well as by the, my understanding of how the spirit gives gifts to the church. Mm. Those are really the two strands that to me lead me to say, no, my calling is, is real and is a gift from the Lord. Um, in the Anglican church, you know, tradition is another big, big piece of it. I think it's a bigger deal in the evangelical church than maybe we realize. It just isn't, doesn't take the same shape as the Anglican tradition. But so for me, if I'm looking at, you know, scripture and gifting and tradition, I actually think that for, for me, scripture and gifting are the things that really point me toward this. I have my whole, whole theory about tradition and why I don't think that um, is as, uh, is a barrier the way many folks thought to, but maybe we'll wait to get into that. Um, so that's a little bit about my context and kind of the, the ins and outs and how how um, the shape of this conversation in more evangelical tradition and in the Anglican tradition that I that I see. So this just like totally filled out a picture of you in my mind that was like, wow, so Amanda's this priest. And if any of you haven't heard her preach, she's like a wonderful preacher. I, my wife and Thank I listened you. to her on uh, we watched Church of the Redeemer online. I didn't realize you were in like an academic track. In that yeah. your MDiv and then shifted to like more pastoral, like, well, yeah. you know, more pastoral yeah. ministry. All academic theology, I think, should be applicable to pastoral ministry. But, um, but then also, like, I remember scrolling down the bulletin one day and I saw you had like copyright. Did you write the like a version of the Gloria, like, or the, the Holy Holy? <laughs> I, I have written some some service music and a few songs, which is a newer thing for me. Um, I am music runs deep in my family. That was you know, I was trained to be a classical pianist and started out in that track and, and Wheaton and, um, but music is very much a second language to me. So yes, I did, did write a, a couple of things. That's part of, part of what I bring as well. That's <laughs> so cool. I love that. Um, yeah. So as you kind of found yourself landing in this place, not only with, uh, the calling from the Holy spirit to move into pastoral ministry, but how that actually became concrete, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, like, it's not just this abstract idea, like we can argue about, it's now it's like, I'm going to be like standing in front of you as a pastor, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. here I am in the flesh. What, what was that disagreement like? Or what was it like when it actually became concrete for you? Mm. So how, how did I move from this, like, oh, women can do this to, oh, like, I'm, I'm going to have to do um, yeah, I think for me, it wasn't part of it was about like, what do I think about women being pastors, not just egalitarian, you know, wrestling with that, that mentally. And part of it was learning to that, oh, I have gifts that I didn't know about. Um, mm -hmm. And the way that those started to come out was through a major crisis in my life uh, that almost led me to a breakdown, quite frankly. I know you all have talked some about mental health on the podcast. So this is when I learned, oh, I struggle with depression and I need to get some help for that. But in the midst of that, I had friends also going through crises and I learned, oh, I actually really love to walk with them in these things and to speak truth to them in these things. So that was one, one big factor as well as counseling helped show me, oh, 
I think I've been idolizing my mind and there's a lot more to me than, than this and learning to, to realize that who I was trying to be wasn't who I actually am and that there's gifts in it, which is still amazing to me. The other big factor for me was the church, Church of the Redeemer, that I became involved in, where I my entryway was the music team. I responded to a sermon that was preached, encouraging people to serve, and showed up you know, to the music person, hey, I can sing. And next week, I was on the music team. Uh, and that led to a part-time um, role as a music leader in the congregation on staff. And when I graduated to a full-time role as pastor for congregational care, anyway, um, I got to use my gifts in the church, even just starting with music. And I had people around me, especially our senior pastor, Pastor Jay Greener, who uh, has who is a fan of women's ordination, who saw my gifts and said, oh, step this way. Uh, I see this in you. Keep going in this direction. And who gave me a chance to um, serve in, in, you know, kind of step-by-step um, leading a vestry retreat. Uh, you know, it's just kind of meeting with people, serving, taking communion to people, and and gradually that led to ordination. Um, so it was it was a, it was very much for me a combination of like this internal wrestling with a context that actually invested in me and saw me, and because you know, especially a couple of the leaders um, believed that women have gifts for the body of Christ. To put it bluntly. Um, they were able to encourage me forward into this calling that um, I uh, pushed back against uh, really until about the semester that I graduated. I finally said, you know what? Okay, I see it. <laughs> I can do that. My problem at the time was really I thought that that the academic folks were superior and that pastoral work was kind of, eh, it's touchy-feely. I don't want to be that. Um, and so it was really hard, honestly, just really hard for me to accept, oh, okay, this stuff that I've been kind of denigrating all right, um, here I am. And actually it's not, it's, it's a good thing and a good, a good gift to people in the church. Yeah. I think it's really important to note too, especially there, like Jay recognized your gifts because that's something like whatever your position on women in ministry or women's leadership, we need to be doing that in the church, recognizing the gifts. I mean, if it is true that the spirit has been poured out, like Peter's sermon in Acts 2 quoting Joel says, and we got to be looking for it. Yeah. And if we're not looking for it, we're going to be missing the ways in which the Lord is giving us people to serve in the body, to build one another up. And you don't have to go so far as to, you know, argue for women in the priesthood, but you got to do something. You yeah. got to do something to be able to learn to recognize those giftings. Yeah. Amen. I, that's one of my soapboxes is I, I think we spend so much time on these hot button issues on what women can't do. That in many settings, we never get around to actually saying, oh, women have a lot that they need to be encouraged in. And honestly, so many women are used to being told what they can't do. And it is like a healing balm when someone says, oh, I see this gift in you. Um, or this, even this leadership gift. Like, I know leadership is another like, oh, women, can they be leaders? Like in some contexts. But okay, fine. If you think that on- women can only lead women, empower your women to do that. Whatever, like find a way. It needs to be about releasing gifts for the body, not just about keeping people in their box. Yeah. So as you've as you've started to do ministry, I know Redeemer is really supportive of you. Um, the community is. I know I've I've heard from a number of folks. They're like super excited when you got ordained, which which made me really happy. How have as as you've begun pastoral ministry, 
has this disagreement surfaced for you personally? I mean, amongst folks in the congregation, amongst people online, mm. trolls, et cetera, you know, yeah. how have, how have you run into that disagreement and how have you navigated it? Yeah, it comes up in, in different ways at different times. And, um, I'm fairly a fairly new priest. I was ordained to the priesthood in April after serving 10 years as a deacon, years which I do not regret. Um, so it's just different things at different time. I remember even after I was brought on full time on the staff, my first title before I was ordained was pastor for worship and congregational care. And I can remember meeting, you know, a woman um, from our congregation in a coffee shop, just running into her, and she said, "Oh." can they call you pastor? Like, there's just little things like that along the way. Or I was at a, you know, I was wearing my clergy collar at a, uh, some like, I don't know if it was a provincial thing or a diocesan, some sort of gathering with other Anglicans. And, you know, somebody asked me, what are you doing here? And that could mean a lot of things that I was like, oh, that was kind of a hostile <laughs> sentence. So it, it does surface. I've had people, um, visitors stand up and walk out when I get up to preach. Uh, more than once. Uh, I Most of the time, people are pretty cordial. We've had people, you know, leave the church. Um, like, I think Jay at one point gave a sermon on one of the controversial passages where he gave a more egalitarian leaving, leave, uh, uh, um, leaning, I, I'm losing reading. my words, reading, that's <laughs> leaning, leading, reading, there you go. Uh, and, you know, we had a family leave the church after that because it was made explicit. Um so, but I think it, for me, it's been such a gradual, it's been a gradual thing along the way. And, and in some ways, a culture shift. Um, we had people at the church when I first came on board that were supportive of it, others who probably weren't, but it's been really a step-by-step -step thing. I, I've heard people who are fans now who, who weren't because they see um, my gifts and how the spirit uses them. Um, and that's, so I've, there's been people, people that shift. I haven't had a lot of experience with trolls and I'm really grateful for that. I just decided I do not fight online. I don't think it's helpful. I'm just, I'm just going to stay away from that. Smart move. Yeah. I think um, that's smart for a number of reasons in life as well, outside of even just this issue. Yes. Let's just not fight online anymore. Yes. Um, so th those are some of the, you know, concrete things that have happened. I think I, there, there are part of the struggle I struggled for a long time. I struggle less now. When I would get up to preach, I struggled because I felt like everyone was looking at me as a woman preacher. Not as a preacher, but a woman preacher. And I think this is a fairly common experience that there feels like there's so much pressure to prove something. That if I have a bad sermon, it's like, it's going to speak for all women preachers. Or I've, I've heard this from other people who just, you know, discount women in ministry because they had a bad experience with a female pastor or priest one time, right? How many bad sermons have we heard from? Anyway, I've heard lots of good sermons from men. I've heard some bad sermons from, from men. And uh, well, I haven't heard that many sermons from women, but I'm sure if I hear a few more, I'll hear some bad ones too. Anyway, the pressure of it can be, can be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it can be, it's easy to get paranoid. That's the thing I have to watch. Like, Ooh, someone like visited and then left the church. Is it because I'm up there with my stole on? Like, I just have to kind of, I, I'm getting better about just letting that go. Um, and in, you know, in terms of, I think as women in ministry, the other thing that we have to do is kind of find our people. Who are the people that I don't have to like convince, or I don't have to be afraid of what they're thinking about me being a pastor and, and just find my people and they're my processing people. 
as well as digging deep. Like, you know, I have imaginary arguments in my head with, with people. That's the only place I argue with people is in my head. That's and the my academic side of you. Yeah, coming out there. <laughs> that's right. But my retort, you know, is always if someone pulls out the like, you know, denying my calling, I'm like, good thing my calling is from the Lord and not from you. Like, that's my my punchline. I've never used that. Sounds yet. like you win every single one of those. <laughs> right? You always have that coming. I love that. Let's do it. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm so good at arguing in my head. <laughs> but all that to say, I think I, there is something I'm learning about. Um, and I'm finding, and I'm grateful, I'm finding spaces where I don't have to be pushing for this. I can just, I can serve and I can use my gifts and not have to be this this battle for, for women. All that to say, I mean, that being said, I am actually starting to get involved in encouraging others who are younger than me along the way, because I, I think we need that. But I'm appreciating spaces where I don't have to feel like I'm a woman and preacher, where I can just be Amanda preaching, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. That's, <laughs> I can tell you as a man who's preached, I know all the bad sermons I've preached, and I think it's most of them. <laughs> no, what are you talking about, man? No, no, it's, no. But the only way to learn preaching is by preaching. You got to get up. through it. And when you start listening to yourself on audio recording too, back, oh, that's the weirdest thing. I, still, I still can't do that. I'm, mm. I know that I should because I would grow, but I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's funky. It's mm -hmm. so funky. Also, I'm just so with you on the arguing in your head. I mean, as a philosophy major, I just <laughs> I love doing that. And it feels good to win in your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I have um, a... I have, I have a big question. Um, okay. So this is, it's actually interesting that, that this is the topic we're talking about in the podcast series, because the, one of the small groups I'm a part of down here, this has been a hot button issue for the last couple of weeks. No matter what we're talking about, we've been talking about revelation or Genesis by the end of the, by the end of the talk, we're talking about women in pastoral roles. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I asked the women in this, in this small group, if they're in favor of women's ordination or in favor of women, in serving as a pastor, and this is in a Baptist church, they're they're against it, um, and they they reference scripture. And so I, I gotta pull this verse out. Um, I sorry I didn't I didn't give you the heads up on this, but of course it's First Timothy two twelve. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. I think that that seems to be the go to. If someone disagrees with with women's ordination, that's the verse that they pull up. Um, and so I'm very curious about how you have responded to that, and if this has been um, a matter, I don't want to say contention in your faith life, but this has been something that you've had to meditate over and think about and really, really discern what this verse means while you've been pursuing this. That's such a, a great question. And you're, you're right. That is really the, that's the verse, right? That's the big barrier for, for a lot of folks. I had a, I had a dream once and not maybe a couple of years ago, I had a dream where I stood up to, I was like a guest preacher in my dream in a, in the church. And I was like beginning the service and someone in the congregation, I think it was a woman in my dream stood up and said, what about first Timothy, whatever. And it was like, so anyway, all that to say, like, I, I get it, you know, and, and I'm really glad that you brought up scripture because I think actually one of the myths about, you know, folks like me who are uh, obviously in favor of women's ordination is that in order to get to that position, we have to ignore scripture. And I want to say very clearly, that is not true. I, um, for me, if I were to have to change my mind on this, I would have to see it from scripture. And actually for me, the opposite has been true that the more I, that actually I've come to see scripture and, um, the fit together even better 
And to me, it makes better sense of scripture. I mean, I didn't get to this position despite scripture, but because I think it actually makes better sense of scripture. So a couple things about, you know, first Timothy, I actually, uh, we did a series a, a few years ago, an adult education series where I invited different people from the congregation to teach just whatever passage was kind of rel you know, close to their heart. I called it the wisdom of the saints. I decided I was going to tackle this passage because I like a challenge. And I said, I'm not afraid. Uh, so, so a couple things, cause, and I'm not usually super great about, you know, references, but this is kind of the big one, isn't it? One thing is that looking at this passage, literally every word, every word, every phrase, everything in it, you go to the commentaries, you go to the people who know about it, you will read five commentaries, you'll get five different answers for what that stuff means. So if we talk about a clear reading of scripture, there is not a, a super clear reading of this verse. We have to make sense of it, and I don't think that you know it's it's nonsensical. But um, we just need to, we need to be say that from the start. The second thing I want to say is that the thrust of that verse is not women be quiet; it's let women learn. We look at the Greek; that is the main verb. Let women learn. A woman should learn. It's not you know women don't teach. Let a woman should learn. To me, the thing that makes the best sense of that verse is that you had women going around talking about whatever they don't know, and women are not the only ones who do that, right? But in this context, it was women. And so from my understanding, it's Paul saying, women, learn. Don't talk until you learn. Um, now, that's not going to satisfy every, everybody, right? So the other thing I want to say is to look at the rest of Scripture, honestly, even to look at the rest of what Paul writes. Because Paul at other parts talks about women prophesying and praying in church. You know, he, it seems that he entrusted Romans and the interpretation of Romans to the church, to Phoebe, a woman. Whatever you think about her being a deacon, we know she was a woman. So Paul actually gives women robust roles in the church. And we focus on that one verse. There's got to be something else going on. So to me, it's, it's, you know, and Philip Payne, I think, is the one that makes this argument. A really fantastic, super exegetical book if you, if you need it. Um, but if there's one verse that's hard to read, we better look at the rest of the stuff, right? And the rest of the stuff in Paul actually, to me, is very life-giving for women. When I look at all the women involved in Romans 16, uh, anyway, so that's what I want to say about, about that verse, is that if we are using that verse to just shut women down out of the church, I think we've actually missed the point. Yeah, and I think if we're saying women should be quiet, or we're thinking scripture says women should be quiet, then I think without realizing it, we're saying scripture is contradicting scripture because Paul himself says when women prophesy in church, mm -hmm. here's how they should do it. Yeah. So either Paul is contradicting himself, which I don't think any of us are comfortable saying, mm -hmm. or we're not reading it right. And The other thing I think a lot about in, in, in the New Testament is how many of those passages are not specific to women or men. I mean, that seems like a strange argument, right? But when you look at, you know, anyway, read through the New Testament sometime and just make note of all the we this, the we that, and you at that. And there's like this much, I'm holding a very tiny sliver in my fingers, this much that's specific on gender. And the rest of it is for all of us. So that says something to me too. Again, that's a, that's a kind of more difficult argument than a one verse thing. But um, I think we need to take it into account. Mm -hmm. I think that's 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 a wonderful response, and I'm so so glad. One of the main reasons why I brought this verse up in particular is uh, back in Whitewater when Connor was the lay catechist, and I was I was serving as a 
I guess, kind of a leader in the, in, in the church. Um, we were doing services at a funeral home, or sorry, not a funeral home, nursing home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Long day at work. For, for individuals yeah. that have had um, issues with their memories, whether that's Alzheimer's, they dealt with addiction. Uh, and one of our good friends, a deacon in, in the diocese of our church, uh, named Dee Safford came and she does wonderful, wonderful works with, uh, with veterans at a nursing home down in Racine, uh, wonderful God loving, God fearing lady who just, she just exudes the spirit of the Lord wherever she goes. So she comes to help me out one morning. And as soon as she gets up and sits in front of the, and sits in front of the congregation, one of the more active men in our church stands up and says that he cannot go to church if there is a woman, because that is not what Paul said. And so I had, I'm, I'm a 21 year old college senior. I was not ready for that kind of conflict. Uh, and these, these a counselor. So she handled it beautifully. And so it's, it's always fun to, to, to ask these tough questions about these, about these verses and uh, to hear your responses. It was just wonderful, especially uh, it helped me too, because I'm still struggling with this verse. Yeah. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I think it's most a doozy. People, it is a doozy. It is. And some people reference it and they don't know what they're referencing. All they say is, all they see is women be quiet and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Boom. Women shouldn't preach. And there's so much more to it. There's so much nuance to scripture in this verse in particular. So thank you for that answer. I appreciate it. Good. I'm glad it was helpful. Yeah. I, I worry we often think when we talk about what you said, Amanda, the clear meaning of scripture, usually what that functionally means in our lives is whatever I think of the first time I hear it. <laughs> and you know that i've i've had to learn to distrust that and i hope everybody does at some point in their life right that sometimes the what you think you hear is not what you heard mm-hmm. in anything i mean when you're arguing with a spouse or a friend sometimes you think they said something and you thought you knew what it meant but then later you're like oh i didn't realize that's what you meant yeah and you know so recognize and 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 i know we want to get kind of on on edge because it's like, well, this isn't just an argument. This is scripture. And mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, okay. Also a book. God has given us this book and we need to learn how to read. Like, you know, you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't read a lot of other books like this. And not that it's just like every other book. It is in the fact that it's written by humans and written on paper and human language, but we wouldn't read any other book a lot, you know, like this. We wouldn't mm. go read can't think of any fiction book I've read recently. Moby Dick. Moby, Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah. There you go. We wouldn't read uh we wouldn't read Moby Dick and just go, it's just a whale. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're saying it's just a whale, you've totally misunderstood what he's writing about. Yes. And yes. but your knee-jerk reaction being whatever the clear meaning of scripture is, I think we have to learn to question those things. And it's uncomfortable because then I think it reveals how much we're clinging on to our understandings as opposed to the words of scripture itself. Yeah. I really believe, I I think about this, that we don't have to be afraid to seek the truth. Like if we are people who really believe in truth that's outside of us, we don't have to be afraid to explore and to say, well, let's think about this. What would it be like? We don't have to be afraid to listen to people's stories. If it doesn't make sense of our reality, then we might be missing something. Yeah. Yeah. I, so earlier when you were talking, I realized I, I wanted to ask a question that's not on our list of questions, but it's a total tangent, but I'm just so curious. How have people responded to you wearing a collar in public? Oh, I know that's I a whole yeah. thing just in general, but yeah, seeing a I don't woman wear it. Collar. Yeah, I don't wear it in, in, in public very much. I will occasionally do errands on my way home on, on Sunday and, and that 
you know, so I'm in Target then with my collar and my mask now, which is kind of nice because then I'm like, oh, I'm wearing a collar, but you can't see me. Um, but yeah, it makes me very, it makes me quite uncomfortable in part because I, I, um, I like to be able to be a little hidden when I'm out. I'm an introvert. I, you know, don't always like small talk. It's in, in, in our area, I think people just don't know what to do with it. There's a lot of Jewish folks in my area. Um, if, if I were wearing a collar and a man, they'd probably assume I was Catholic, um, not just the Jewish folks, but, but everybody, and maybe get some dirty looks like the Catholic church is not, I don't know. That's that my Jay has, has mentioned that he's, he sometimes gets varying reactions. People don't really know what to do with a woman. I, when I'm at my, my best, I try to relax and just say, you know what, when I'm wearing my collar, at the very least, it reminds people that there's something other than the physical reality, like that there's spiritual stuff, that, that there's, there's the church, that there's something that, that something beyond physical life, um, something other uh, to just be a touchstone. Cause I imagine, you know, most, most people go around their days if they're not people of faith and maybe don't even think about it. So I've tried to, to use that almost like sacrament lower S maybe, maybe like a really tiny lower, like tiny S, but as something that points beyond itself. And that, that, that helps me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Font size eight lower. Yes, S. exactly. <laughs> Very tiny, but that's, that's really, that's really interesting that, just that right there, people's reaction to seeing a physical collar around mm -hmm. your neck just is, I think, a good reminder of the physicality of spirituality and mm -hmm. faith, mm -hmm. that it's always incarnate. And yeah, especially seeing a woman with yes. the collar is, I think, a real like, wow. Yeah. A lot of people. As we kind of wrap up our time here, um, I'm going to kind of combine some of these questions a little bit and feel yeah. free to take it however you want. Okay. Um, this this you know question around women not only just in ministry in you know leadership roles in the church but women's ordination right we're Anglicans so we have a, a an, an episcopal understanding of church offices bishops priests and deacons um, as we go forward as the church whether and I I mean church just in general the larger body of Christ in the United mm -hmm. States or globally but also just like as Anglicans in the ACNA, how do you see this conversation going? What should we do with it? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well with it? Yeah, ACNA. And this issue, and I, I always struggle with, you know, with things like this to use the word issue because it's about people and theology and really deep things. But for lack of a better word, this issue yep, is extremely contentious and only growing more so, I think, in the ACNA. Um, so maybe that's the only context I can really speak to. I feel encouraged in my own diocese and in some other spaces for what's going on for, for women. And, um, and in general, I think there are more opportunities, you know, even outside the Anglican church for, for women in ministry. Um, within the ACNA, it's, my opinion is that it's just pretty toxic right now. And that there's so much fear and anger and contempt it makes it hard to even talk about um, productively. It's it's you know like in our it's just like in our country, right? Any issue you choose, it's like ah, everybody flies apart, and that's kind of how women's ordination is. I would love to see us be able to talk about this as a matter about which good Christians can disagree, can disagree, rather than uh, if you disagree with me on this, you're my enemy. Like that's that's the that's the 
thing I hear within the ACNA camp that I just think is really awful. Um, it makes it very hard. You know, some, some people talk about those who are in favor of women's ordination. I haven't heard, honestly, I've, 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 I've seen this fairly one-sided, just not that it, not that folks who are pro women's ordination don't, don't do this, but most of the vitriol I've seen is from those who are opposed. And I want to give, you know, I'm, I want to give good, a good faith, you know, a hermeneutic of love here that it's because they believe really deeply that this is an ab aberration or, or whatever. The way it come across, comes across often is fairly dehumanizing, especially for female priests, honestly. Um, I would love to see a little more, you know what, you're my sister in Christ. You're made in the image of God and of infinite worth. I don't hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of, you're my enemy. I would love to hear a little more, actually, no, not a little more, a lot more humility from everybody. Just the simple statement, like, I could be wrong. And if I could be wrong, then that changes how I, how I <laughs> fight for this or not. It changes my ability to receive others. Uh, I would like a little more honesty and naming what's real, that this isn't just a battle about scripture. There's power involved here. Often things that are seen as feminine are devalued, like listening, collaboration, even gentleness, things that are more typically feminine. Um, can we just be honest about that? Yeah. I, and again, as I said, I'd love to see us encourage and call forward women's gifts and not just fight about this, this issue. I do suspect that in the ACNA, um, I don't know if we can find agreement on this issue. I don't. Um, we're trying to do this dual integrity thing, which is each diocese kind of gets to choose, but each feels really threatened by the other. What would it be like if we didn't have to be, if we could partner and not be enemies? That's the thing I wonder is, what would it be like if we could allow freedom of conscience and provide spaces for people to flourish according to their conscience? That's what I would probably like to look see a lot like when Christ returns. Maybe so. See, I'm just a dreamer with some of this stuff. I'm just a dreamer with some of this I, stuff. I think these are, these are wonderful <laughs> things, though, because this is an issue, and this is this is something where people on either side are going to be very, very passionate about it for very, very good reasons. A lot of people that are against it, they've this has been what they've believed and what they've thought about their entire lives. So there's that yeah. passion. We need to ensure that there's a level of respect and deference between those yes. two. At the end of the day we're more than a disagreement. We are a body of Christ. We're a body of the church. We need to act like it. We need to love each other through our disagreements because if this isn't what we disagree about, there's going to be something else that you might disagree about. There's about a million things that Connor and I disagree about that we talk about a lot, but we're still able to love each other through those disagreements. That's so important. It's such a great reminder for the church mm -hmm. today. Yeah. And very practically, I'd like to see us ditch social media and cable news. <laughs> I think that would go a long way toward making us more Christ-like and less uh, tribal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I still am really ambivalent that I'm on Facebook. I know, except that's where I connect with women and, and get my, some of my support for female clergy because there aren't a lot of us nearby. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is one of those mixed bag things where you, you know, as, as research comes out about its effects, but then you're like, man, but I'm also connecting with people. Like, oh, this is so frustrating. But I, I do worry that that um, even that civility and that love and that charity we're called to give one another is is going to feel 
for many of us threatening to even mm-hmm. give. And it, it, that, I don't know, that just makes me really sad because mm-hmm. um, I read a while back, uh, William Kavanaugh, you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. Roman Catholic theologian. And I read a really great essay by him where he talked about um, what unites the church across mm-hmm especially the Roman Catholic church and Anglican church, evangelical church, you know, all these bodies. And his answer was repentance. Mm -hmm. That's what unites us. No matter our denomination, no matter our tradition, no matter the stream of Anglicanism we find ourselves in. Right. And I, I personally fall squarely in the evangelical Anglican camp, but repentance is the thing that our Lord calls us to in everything. It's learning to see, where we've treated brothers and sisters terribly, especially mm-hmm. women in the church, and learning to repent of that. Yes, it takes a lot of humility. I think I've had times in my life where I come to a place and I'm like, oh, this feels terrible. I just don't know. I don't know, Lord. <laughs> I would love, you know, I, yeah, I would love to, to have us be, there's unity in repentance, isn't there? When mm-hmm. falling before the Lord and saying, we don't know, and we really care about this, and we really disagree. What would it be like if that was more central than our kind of clinging to our sides? Another wonderful ACNA uh, female priest, Tish Warren, who is fantastic. Um, she, I listened to her talk about this a bit with her husband, Jonathan. Who are, mm-hmm. They're both priests. It's so cool. <laughs> husband and wife priest duo. Where she's, and I think she's absolutely right about this. She said, we can only be about 80 to 90% sure on either side about this question. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that should give us some pause to think, I need to hold this with more humility. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could just keep talking. I could go refill my glass with some beer and you could get some water <laughs> uh, and yeah. keep talking. We'll give you the last word. I mean, anything anything else you'd like to, like to add or say? Oh. You can say hi, mom, too. That works as well. No, I'm really dying to make a statement about the whole impersona Christie thing, but I feel like that would be... A really weird last comment. Yeah. Um, yes, and for, for those who don't know, there, there's sort of a helpful way to kind of distinguish this issue is there's sort of evangelical arguments for or against, which typically center around scripture and interpreting scripture. And then there are more, we'll call them small C Catholic arguments on this question, which surround the symbolism of the priest when serving communion or Eucharist and what the priesthood means. Yes. So here's what I want to say is it's a it's a question about what's at stake, which was one of your questions we didn't get to. Mm-hmm. I just want to say very clearly for any guy who's talking about this issue, I mean there's not that there aren't things that are for stake at stake for you. You are not the one with the most <laughs> at stake here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm in it in my body. Right? And other other female priests are too. And I think even about, so here's, I do actually want to say about this whole idea that, you know, that men can be priests because they can represent Jesus at the altar because Jesus was a man. What are the implications? What's at stake in that? That there's something that was inherent to Jesus that I can't access that's different than me Hmm. because I'm a woman. Let's think, you know, think about that. Is that really what we want to say? There are big questions at stake here, and we ought to take them seriously. And we need to be able to talk about this in a way that recognizes that women are fully made in the image of God. 
and um, equal in Christ. That was, <laughs> that was the hammer. I love it. That was great. That was great. <laughs> That's my little nugget. You can cut it out if you want. <laughs> That's going to be the headline for the episode. Remember, how, really remember how I mentioned I hadn't gotten a lot of trolls? Well, maybe that'll change. <laughs> we, won't, we won't tag you in the post. Okay. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just let me go under the radar there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll distort your voice, too, and make you sound like, it, like an alien or something like that. So no one knows who you are. <laughs> make my name an anagram or, like, scramble the letters or something, right? Uh, the priest formerly known as yeah. Prince. So that would be who you are. <laughs> there you go. We're so glad that you guys joined us. We're really grateful for you, Reverend Amanda. Uh, we pray that this this would open some doors to conversations, you know, with what Amen. we heard from Warren last week and what this what we heard from Reverend Amanda this week. We would invite you guys to go out and think for yourself and really dig into the scriptures and really pray and discern about this. Because this is something that we should discuss with each other, but this is also something we should discern for ourselves. So that's our prayer for you this week. That's our encouragement for you. So we hope you all have a great week.